0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. I really apologize for keeping all of you waiting. I was having a little, we were having some technical difficulties, but here we are. What a wonderful session we have. had. Sorry we've missed you in Houston, but we were practicing on your behalf. <laughs> we've been studying, we've had an opportunity to focus on a great writing of Dogen Zenji, the Mountains and Waters Sutra. So this is a sutra close to the heart of Dogen Zenji's practice, but also Shakyamuni Buddha's practice. Because when Shakyamuni Buddha woke up under the Bodhi tree, the tree of enlightenment, what he said was, "I, together with all beings and the great earth, wake up." So I, together with all beings, wake up. I and all beings are of the same nature, and that awakening flows down to us to this day. So Dogen is part of that tradition, and even though we don't really have uh, uh, mountains right here where we are, um, we will, actually. We will. We haven't had mountains here. Mountains are formed by, excuse me, the collision, the coming together of great crustal plates, unimaginably great Processes make these mountains, and volcanoes make mountains. Things Mountains are created by vast forces, and we are going to have those mountains. Even though we've never had mountains like that, especially in Houston, um, they model that that is going to happen. And at Joe Castleberry's Museum of Natural History in, in Houston, there's a computer graph, a nice video of what's going to happen. And in a while, uh, South America is going to come up into the Gulf of Mexico, and we will have mountains. Yeah, it's gonna be nice. (laughs) It'll be a while. (laughs) One time, quite a long time ago, when I was quite young, 17 or 18, I was driving across the country with a friend and we were driving across one of the Plains states. And I, I really can't remember which one, but it was a long time ago. And we had some unusual car. And so we had a Renault 4 or something like that, the kind of car that very small and then it doesn't turn off. It, it, the, the <coughs> cooling motor kept going after you stopped the car. I got very used to it, but. People would often come into restaurants and say, you've left your car running. So this car got a lot of attention driving across the country. And two little boys on bicycles were driving by, and they started chatting with us. And where do you come from? And we said, from California. And this little boy said, there are mountains there. And even at the time, I realized, he understands mountains better than I do. So, mountains. Part of the reason I've, I've had to uh, do this technical thing that those of you who are here in the room are seeing, um, I couldn't. I had a technical problem over there, but there are some poems I really want to read to you um, about this great earth. And people have had attitudes about this great earth. Every person who's ever lived has had attitudes about this great earth. And over the millennium that we've had, millennia, that we've had humans on this planet, we've had ideas that it was a flat disk, we've had ideas that it's the back of a turtle with uh, gradual earth being made by um, goddesses bringing down these natural grasses and gradually collects and makes earth lot of attitudes about Earth. And we have attitudes about our great Earth. And one of the attitudes that a lot of us have is a feeling of great worry and fret about our great Earth. That's one of the attitudes about the Earth. And all of these attitudes block our understanding of the mystery of the Earth. So for right now, I just want to uh, acknowledge that um, when Buddha said, I and all beings and the great earth are awakened, that's a statement of this great mystery behind all of our attitudes about earth. All of our attitudes about earth are our attitudes about earth. When Dogen said he's awakened with the great earth, that's something else. That's behind that. So Dogen, excuse me, Shakyamuni Buddha woke up to his absolute uh, non-duality with the earth, and the earth's absolute non-duality with us. And that moment, Kensho, his great awakening, then fueled his teaching. So he woke up and then the study begins, then the teaching begins. So he woke up and then spent 45 years walking around Northern India, relating and teaching and studying how to align this with various minds. So the study began then, and then a thousand years later, a great Chinese poet um, walking the same earth that Dogen, excuse me, that Shakyamuni and Dogen um, walked, wrote a poem. So you'll see in this poem that this turning of the deep understanding of our Enlightenment in this earth continues in our school. So this is a great Chinese poet, Su Dongpo, a thousand years after Shakyamuni. It's called, The Verse of the Sounds of Valley Streams, the Color of Mountains. The poem goes like this. The murmuring brook is the Buddha's long, broad tongue, and is not the shapely mountain the body of purity? Through the night, I listen to 80,000 verses. When dawn breaks, how will I explain it to the others? The murmuring brook is the Buddha's long, broad tongue, and is not the shapely mountain the body of purity? Through the night, I listen to 80,000 verses. When dawn breaks, how will I explain it to the others? So this poem was also very important to Dogen Zenji, and part of the source of this writing that we've been studying this week. And also, he uh, he loved it so much he wrote another whole chapter of the Shobogenzo on the sounds of valley streams. So, Sudden Po takes that teaching of Buddha, essentially, and turns it back. So, if Buddha or if you and I, we say. I and the Great Earth are one, well, he's also saying the Great Earth is the Buddha. The Great Earth is, right out there, is the Buddha's waving um, hair. <laughs> Zenji brings up another story that also coalesces this teaching. So one day, great teacher in China, Yunmen, was lecturing in the Dharma Hall. When a sincere practitioner of the way asked, "What is the place where all Buddhas attain complete liberation?" Master Yunmen responded, "East Mountain walks on the water." So this is a question coming from Dogen Excuse me, from Shakyamuni Buddha's enlightenment that we are celebrating this week. Where, where is the place where all Buddhas wake up? Not just Shakyamuni, but all the vast, countless Buddhas before, and The teaching of the our school is that everyone's going to be going to awaken to their Buddha nature. Where, where is the place? And Yunmin answered on his own behalf and on our behalf. East Mountain walks on the water. So, again, that tiny dialogue is an important uh, koan in the tradition that you work to solve. It's not something that it's meant to be, oh, yeah, I get that. You work to solve that. Why do these important teachers consider that such an important phrase? Why, when Dogen Zenji brings it up in in this writing of the Mountains and Water Sutra, why does he say it contains the essential teaching of our school? That phrase, East Mountain Walks on the Water, contains the essence of Buddha's teaching. So Dogen said all the waters are appearing at the foot of the east mountain and therefore the mountains mount the clouds and stride through the heavens the mountains are the peaks of the waters and in both ascending and descending their walk is over the water the tips of the mountains the tips of the mountains feet walk across the waters setting them dancing <laughs> <laughs> we we've talked a lot during this session about the science of uh mountain orogeny orogeny not arogeny <laughs> could be <laughs> how mountains are made and uh what what water is but um the essence of it is that with our human minds. And using our human perspective, mountains are generally seen as solid, immutable. It's just there. And waters generally are seen as flexible and soft and musical. So for Dogen and for Yunmen and our school, this is the ultimate and the relative coming together. So the ultimate, you can pick which one you want to be the ultimate but it's the relation of the two, is the ultimate, the, so, the solid, deeply rooted, immutable majesty of a mountain. And then the relative is this flexible changing, um, evaporating, coming back down, changing, freezing, making us too cold, making us too hot, water, 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 relative. But the teaching of Buddhism and the teaching of uh, our school is that those two things are not the same, and they're both necessary for our understanding. They both are reality. A mountain is reality, and then water is reality. So East Mountain walks on the water. The ultimate reality has this relation with the musical flowing quality of water. Isn't that beautiful? It's the heart essence of our school. But Dogen, of course, takes it far beyond we all know a little bit about how water, we all know, it. believe me, even if there were a waterologist in the, cl- in the crowd, they know a little bit about water. Its mystery is so vast. And as Maite said in her beautiful talk from this place, um, water wasn't made here on Earth. Water landed here. Water came across the universe and hit our land and decided to stay. It's amazing. It's extremely precious. Water, extremely precious, way more than diamonds and emeralds and hard things. Water is water is life. <laughs> but Dogen takes it beyond. He says, um, uh, mountains have the two virtues of peacefully abiding, which we mentioned, and constantly walking. Water also has two virtues, flowing and not flowing. So these are both true. So they both have the same virtues as Dharma. Because of the water, mountains can walk. Because of uh, mountains, water can rise and fall. We need Waters need mountains to go through their cycles. Oh, and Dogen wants to take it further. It's not just uh, how we see mountains, how we understand water, it's how mountains see water, how water sees water. Those perspectives are what he's trying to liberate us into seeing away from our ego protective human perspective. How do we see this? Dogen is really concerned about the eye of practice, which is why the um, collection when he started writing, he he immediately gave the title to his his uh, collection of writings, Shobogenzo, Shobo. Genzo, Shobo. Shobogen, the true Dharma eye, and then Zo means treasury or collection. Shobogen is Dogen's main concern. What is the true Dharma eye and how can he open it? And when Shakyamuni woke up, that was his main thing to open our eye. It's that he said, he, Shakyamuni, I see that everyone is awakened, the great earth is awakened with me at the same time. And Dogen Zenji, all the great teachers have been trying to open that same eye of ours. The eye of practice, the eye of the koan, the eye of our situation in life, always it's about the eye. However, one of the problems is that the ordinary human eye is really insufficient. And for me, when I turn my head like this and look at you all, one of the things I'm thinking of is, the science of the eye, the science of the eye is that is this tiny, tiny little portal that just lets in a tiny amount of information. And yet, because it's all we have, we think it's a lot, but it's a tiny amount of information. It's this very narrow little cone that only allows in light rays that are coming right at it. And there are vast quantities of light rays that are going this way or this way. That aren't allowed in. It can only open to the light rays that are coming straight at it. It can only see a very limited amount of energy color, energy heat. It's a tiny portal and very fragile. It does we can we have these sense fields that sense around and behind I think Japanese people are super have a superpower because they know when somebody's behind them. And I encourage you all to develop that superpower. It's very handy. And you can tell a lot about what's happening over here, but you actually can't see any of it. You have to turn this whole thing to see. I think that's amazing. And yet, Dogen Zenji is trying to open, and Shakyamuni Buddha is trying to open it to see the vastness of the world. We were talking recently about the, the elephant look. And the elephant look is one of the qualities of Shakyamuni Buddha that his, his fans described, which is that Shakyamuni Buddha, when he turned towards something, would turn his whole body. So this narrow range of eye, also the ears, also the whole body was turned to be attentive to the thing. Isn't that beautiful? And I think, um, oh, I know who I was talking about, it, but somebody who has children who they feel they might not be paying sufficient attention to, turn your body to them. Doesn't it feel different? Like like this. But it's different if you turn your whole body. So Shakyamuni Buddha was famous for the elephant look, taking the whole thing. So nevertheless, we have this to see. And we also have the area in our brain that is the visual part of the Cortex. And it also has a whole bunch of limitations. And basically, we only see what we already know. Basically, that's it. Famously, Mary carol led many of us on a walk in the Sheldon Lake
1: mm-hmm.
0: State Park. Sheldon Lake State Park, which she was involved in restoration of wetlands. Wetlands but you walked us through the dry, dry lands first. It was all dry. It was all dry. It was being restored as wetlands and we walked across this field of a bunch of dead weeds and um, that's all I knew. And then she would sort of stop. She wasn't even trying to open our our Dharma eye. It just happened gradually without her letting us know. I don't think you even intended necessarily to do that. It's just that it happened. She would point at some plant and say, "What's a characteristic plant?" So I don't wake up, make up a stupid name. Oh, pickerel! Pickerel! Oh, look! Here's the pickerel. Tiny little thing with tiny little blossoms. And suddenly, you saw pickerels everywhere. And another plant, bulrush. Bullrush. And suddenly, you saw bulrush. And after s- quite a few steps in the hundred degree weather,
1: <laughs>
0: it stopped being a field of weeds. It was this. Life, it was a a world of its own. It was beautiful. But until you only see what you know. So we, as Mary Carol said a few days ago in her Dharma talk, study, study, study. Because we're just inherently limited. Our bodies are also tiny and fragile. And we, we don't really, we forget about that because it's very, we should forget about that they're tiny and fragile and it's all we have to go out and sense this world tiny and fragile and so let's just allow ourselves to be tiny and fragile instead of trying to pretend that something else is happening and we have to protect it so much it's okay to be tiny and fragile on this planet so dogen and of course Shakyamuni buddha but dogen continuously is trying to shift us out of this human-centric point of view, try to see things from different perspectives. And he brings in the teaching of water, ancient teaching in Buddhism, that uh, water is seen in at least four different ways. In the old Vijnanavada teaching, gods see water as jewels, humans see it as what we think is water, hungry ghosts see it as blood and pus and fire and fish see it as a dwelling. But he even goes beyond this. It isn't just about how humans or God see water. It's how water sees water, how water practices and verifies water. There is the study of water, telling of water. I was really moved by his line that um, God see water as a necklace of jewels. So can you imagine, you know, we now, we're, we're lucky in our lifetime, we have photographs of the earth. Amazing. So from space, it does look like a necklace of jewels. It looks like a beautiful blue um, enameled art object. But they didn't have that view. And yet he knew that, that the gods would see water as a necklace of jewels. It reminds me. Do you know in, in Peru there are these uh, earth sculptures? They're called the Nazca Lines. Have you heard of those? Yeah, they're incredible. In the high desert in Peru, there are very ancient. They started making these things just a couple of hundred years after Buddha's life, uh, when there was a very kind of technologically advanced civilization there. So they made these sculptures that are hundreds of feet long, and there are hundreds of them in the high desert, and they're still there because they knew how to make them in this super dry climate. They have um, many are geometric shapes, and they have subjects. There's a hummingbird, you know, a hundred-foot-long hummingbird that you can't see from Earth. You have to be seeing it from the perspective of a, a giant spider, a fish, condor, heron, monkey, lizard, dog, cat, and a human. 80-foot long human that you cannot see from from a human perspective. Some of them you can sort of see from adjacent mountains apparently. I really want to go there. But what is the eye that was that is seeing these shapes? So these were people, the artists who made these were not using their they used their human eye to dig the earth and get down to the iron oxide but they were making it for another eye. Isn't that fantastic to imagine a culture that wasn't so based on this narrow scope? So we are, even now, the um, we know we are the center of the universe, and that's part of the enlightenment of the Buddha. Each of you is the center of the universe. The difference is, so is everybody else. So is every other creature. So is every other life form, the center of the universe. And the sharing of that universe is what we're trying to encourage. So our Dogen talks about um, when he was talking in this in the part of the uh, chapter about mountains. He said it's very poetic, very difficult to understand. And Shunryu Okamura Roshi actually says the desire to understand can be a block to encountering the writing. The desire, you know, trying to grasp the meaning from the text can be a blockade. And then when we get to the part about water, water flowing, the the imagination, our previous ideas can be a blockade to understanding. So that's where we have to do the no understanding part of the practice. And for us, it really is important to know that attitudes about the earth, including worry and fret and despair, block our actual connection with the earth. So worry, fret, and despair, we have to remember our attitudes that block access to the mystery. So here's a poem that Dogen wrote. This is about the Lotus Sutra, but it just shows his deep connection, his deep understanding of our earthbound life. It's called, oh, no title, In the valley, vibrating sounds. On the peak, monkeys intermittent chattering. I hear them as they are exquisitely expounding this sutra. Grasping the heart of this sutra, even the voices of selling and buying in the world are expounding the Dharma. Colors of the mountain peak and echoes of the valley stream, all of them as they are are nothing other than my Shakyamuni's voice and appearance. Can I read it again? In the valley, vibrating sounds. On the peak, monkeys intermittent chattering. I hear them as they are exquisitely expounding this sutra. Grasping the heart of this sutra, even the voices of selling and buying in the world are expounding the Dharma. Colors of the mountain peak and echoes of the valley stream, all of them as they are, are nothing other than my Shakyamuni's voice and appearance. So again, the sounds and the sights, the wind blowing through the trees outside right now, they're nothing in themselves, they're just our world, and with the true Dharma eye, they are the teaching of the Buddha. So Kensho, that feeling of awakening, again, the message from Dogen Zenji is that awakening as demonstrated by the Buddha who woke up and then went around and taught for 45 years, the awakening that's being um, demonstrated is the beginning of practice. That's why these beautiful statues are still sitting. They woke up, Avalokiteshvara woke up, And that's the beginning of the practice of coming to to realize our true nature. So Buddha studied the many troubled minds in his world, in our world. And the great study of the Buddha's lifetime was how to attune these teachings to the many uh, different situations he found himself in. Does that sound similar to what our practice is as well? Attuning to the different needs, to the to the different needs of what whatever town we live in and whatever town and country we're going to return to. Finding that attunement is our goal. And studying what this earth needs from us, what this earth needs from us appropriately, freeing ourselves from fear, despair, ignorance. What's the other thing? Unrealis- it, it, unrealistic um, attitudes. So the goal of our practice is to be able to live our lives in truth, right now, right where we are. So again, we've had a great Um uh, The food has been rather nice. Murmurs of approval from the of, from the crowd. <laughs> Thumbs up in the crowd. We hope that you and Houston have had a very peaceful week without us. Sorry. (laughs) Um, What would you like to do? Should we break or should we have a little discussion before we go on to our next session event? Tonto? Uh, I think
1: we have have some time for discussion.
0: Let's do some discussion. May I see that screen? (laughs) Hello, everybody. Go again. Let's. Could you hold it up so everybody can see? Oh, I
1: don't think I can turn it around anymore.
0: Yes, you can turn it the other way. Got
1: it.
0: Turn it the other way. We're bossy here. Here, I've got it. Yeah. They're all waving at you. Okay. (laughs) I'm doing that.
1: <laughs> everything, is connected.
0: everything is connected Thank
1: you. are you in class what i don't
0: have my class
1: oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have your glasses right then so oh, it was so nice to see you all so new orleans Texas, Patrick Farmer in Missouri. Oh wow! Hi Andrew, Florida. Steve, Mark, and Michael. Tim, Philip, and everybody in the in the Zendo in Houston. Oh, so nice discussion. Is there anything any of you would like to bring up, Joe? Thank you.
1: Uh, when you mentioned the superpowers and being able to hear what's behind you or sense what's around you. I was thinking, my mom developed those superpowers (laughs) because my brother and I would always be doing something. she should be busy with something. We thought she was busy looking the other way. She would say, I hear what you're doing. (laughs) Don't do that, don't touch that. (laughs) And so uh, I guess, you know, as you were saying, with going to different places to live, we have to respond appropriately. And uh, part of my response growing up was to develop the skill of walking around with padded feet <laughs> 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 to try to be first for power. <laughs> but then later on, uh, I, you know, developed a relationship, got married, and I was still practicing my my superpower padded feet
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I would my my spouse should be washing dishes
0: and <laughs> you'd scare her.
1: And I would be right up behind her and say, Elena, <laughs> it's true. Wow. <laughs> so I had to develop a, a lesser superpower change appropriately so not to scare her to death. <laughs> so uh, I didn't really have a question. I just
0: <laughs> <laughs> after all the silence no that's actually a really good example a super good example of first especially the first part well both are good examples because we do have to have both skills but the first one um is an example of the way we should be with all people in the room which is you love them the way your mother loved you and you're aware of them all the time. And when you're working in the kitchen, um, it's all about love. So you're cooking and you're doing things for other people. And you're working with a crew. You love them. You're aware of where they are all the time. If you're not aware of your crew in the kitchen, you're you'll you'll stab them, you'll burn them, <laughs> you'll drop things on them, you'll hit them. Um, you should be. In a state of love, when you're working in the kitchen, aware of where everybody is all the time, if somebody comes up behind you, you should know. That's really kitchen practice. Mm -hmm. And that's really Zendo practice. You shouldn't? I'm being bossy. (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't have to look around in the Zendo. You should know where everybody is. That's This is really true. So and it is, doesn't have much to do with hearing or seeing it's you should know where all the people are and you should know who it is over there and there without having to say oh yeah it's tricia she's still there so this is high level practice and i encourage you all to think about it it's we're so frontally oriented with this tiny little narrow aperture to get information and there's all this other information around you when you're open to a feeling of love you have for the people so that's your mother's practice and then the other practice of learning how to sneak around <laughs> <laughs> learning how to be quiet yeah that's also very valuable yeah thank you good example constance can you help coordinate this so we see constance you're in you. I just wanted to say that um, the first time I heard you speak, or the first time I went to any Dharma talk at the Zen Center, you were talking about this very sutra. Is that <laughs> yes, it was the uh, uh, first time the center was open after Hurricane Harvey, mm-hmm. with the incredible flood, mm-hmm. And you, you, you brought this up. And so um, I just feel like it I just wanted to say, you know, I, first, I feel I feel the
1: depth of it now. Mm-hmm. I
0: feel
1: the beauty of it
0: now. And I, I thank you for that. Thank you so much. Harvey was a demonstration of the power of water. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Mary Carroll. There is a line that says, Mountains belong to those who love them. Mm-hmm. How do you understand that? You know, I, you and I have just co-led this session, so I get to say this. How do you understand it? <laughs> it's gonna take a while. <laughs> um,
1: I intuitively feel that we all might be better off if we, if our relationships were based on love with the mountains, the mm-hmm. waters,
0: mm-hmm. And so forth.
1: I'm still studying
0: it. Yeah. Well, one thing that might be happening is um, we would question that this is like working with any koan. What does it, what do you, how do you understand belong? So uh, something, we think something belongs to us, but one of the things we study when we start accumulating possessions is that we belong to the possessions, actually. Our possessions own us. Our family owns us. All these things become, we are owned. So we belong to the mountains is an equally true statement. So mountains belong to people who love them. People belong to the mountains that love them. Sounds equally good, doesn't it? <laughs> so belonging is is a, the ultimate connection. And we resist that. We resist being possessed by other people, don't we? Why? Interesting. Let's study that, Tim.
1: DJ has a comment. He says, "Ask any cat." <laughs>
0: <laughs> we will all be doing that, you know, later today when we go back to those cats. <laughs> They're going to have a lot to say to us. And I-
1: <laughs>
0: mm. Lots of noses turned up. Dharma Moon, I thought you raised your hand. I did. Mean, yeah. oh. <laughs> you did. Oh, that's right. Need to go. So,
1: our eyes are limited by um, our attitudes and the way I work. Can we ever have no attitude, so therefore no limitation
0: of the eye? You're asking that same question that the monk asked Yun Min. Can we ever wake up? Where is the place where we wake up? Yun Min said.
1: It's nonsense, it goes on the mind.
0: Yeah. There are many answers to the question, but um, we are blocked by our understanding we're blocked by our attitudes, and so we just, we work our way through that, and the water just, we flow, we flow, we work our way through that. And we never have an attitude. As soon as we think about it, we have an attitude. Yeah. yeah. So nice to have you here in person. Thank
1: you. It's so good to be here.
0: Yeah. We have two, fl- what do you guys call yourselves? Floridians? South Floridians. Oh, you're South (laughs) Georgia. I'm sorry, I forgot. (laughs) I was so North Floridian. (laughs) Anything else, team? Been so nice having this time with you all.